being a public company only affects you as much as you let it. And so our commitment is to long-term shareholder growth. I'm going after that trillion dollar number, not this number, and not, not, and not 50% more than this number or whatever it is. We don't want incremental growth. We, we see an opportunity to go for something huge and we're taking it. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we are here with David Barrett, the founder and CEO of Expensify. David, welcome to the show. What's up? And this is David's first appearance, right? We've been doing this for... Wait, really? Million... really? I think so. Well, maybe. I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a while. Well, yeah. we got to see you recently at Expensicon 3. David, I don't think we properly thanked you for bringing us out here, you and the Expensify team, thank you very much uh, for bringing us out to Italy and showing us a great time. It was a blast. Yeah, well, thanks so much for coming. I mean, that was pretty, it went off without a hitch, and I think it was pretty epic. It was, and the whole time, we were, like, terrified that it would rain because, like, did you have any backup plans? I mean, that was, that. there were a lot of outdoor events, and we got got so fortunate uh, that, that the weather was good. Uh, we live left on the edge. Who needs backup plans? <laughs> um, I, I have to ask because uh, we were kind of doing like informal polls the whole time. Uh, you know, how much did that event cost? I'm an accountant. I have yeah. to know. Enough. <laughs> so we're not we're not we're not going to get an answer from you on that one. Nope. All right. Understood. I, 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 my, <laughs> my guess is I know there are apps that are running between five hundred thousand to a million dollars a month on. Facebook and Google ads, right? Huh? So they're spending anywhere from 6 to $12 million a year and have nothing to show for it, kind of, mm-hmm. in a way. And so I'm like, even if you spent $6 million, the people are going to talk about this forever. And I, I, somebody mentioned to me, they're like, oh, yeah, it's one of the, that's, oh, you were expensive. And that's one of the top conferences. I'm like, it's not top conferences. It's like top life timeline events. <laughs> like, like it's in, it's in, it's, it's not, and you don't compare it to conferences. You compare it to major life milestones in your life. Well, I think- you know? I think that you're right, though, in that it's so easy to like dump economical amounts of money into traditional advertising, and it's kind of like no one got fired for buying IBM. It's like no one got fired for spending money in AdWords. It just it's like you you spend more, um, and your VCs are like, "Fuck yeah!" You know, why did you spend even more at an even lower ROI? Or there's actually no positive ROI. It's like why didn't you actually just like lose even more money on each customer? Um, and that's called success in a traditional sort of like VC backed Silicon Valley world. And I think that. Our approach is very different. We acknowledge that like performance advertising, by and large, just doesn't work. Um, it's very hard to work at scale. And so I think the most effective marketing is by investing in relationships. And those relationships, especially in the accounting industry, because it's like even a small bookkeeping firm is basically has the, the, the potential footprint of like an enterprise client, if you could get all their clients on board. And so we think that every accountant is an incredibly valuable relationship to have that it's almost impossible to overinvest in. And so I think that, yes, if if we're making a choice between like you know, AdWords versus expense account, we go expense gun. Now, in reality, we're a profitable company. We don't need to make that trade-off, so we can just do both. But I would say um, events like expense or maybe I don't know if you're familiar with our San Francisco lounge as well, mm-hmm. uh, where basically like we open up our office to anyone who can come in, any expensive subscriber can come in and get basically unlimited free coffee and cocktails with an amazing view of San Francisco. And it's packed day in and day out. And the way that we view it is it's basically like a 20, like opening a a conference booth every single day. So we can either 
spend 10 times more than that to have five-minute conversation with someone on the expo floor, or we get to spend all day with them in our lounge and actually have like an incredible brand experience. And so I think it's about recognizing what you're actually trying to do. It's not about the specific ROI of a particular you know, transaction. It's about investing in a relationship that's going to produce sort of compounding events for years and years to come. So to, to rewind a little bit. So I remember the first time we started interacting and working with you was 2008, early 2009. And at that time, I was still at Intuit. Just, I, I don't even think I was on the developer team. Yet. I was still like working on Do My Paycheck. And we shared a presentation or whatever at, at SleaderCon mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but that's when Con- Concur launched Concur Breeze. And I remember being at that conference. It was just you and you and another Expensify employee, and that was it at the conference. There was no booth. There was no bar. Probably me and Ryan, I bet. Yeah. And they rolled in with leather jackets. All their they, these were like third party marketers. They weren't even employees of the company. And they rolled a motorcycle in, like a branded. You remember uh, West Coast? Oh, I remember it. Like they roll all that in. And I remember you just going off on a tirade. These people are so dumb. They're just wasting money. They don't even. Talk, they don't even sending their employees to actually talk to their customers and learn about them and fine, we'll just go drink on their free booze that they have. And they're throwing the, <laughs> it's this over the top of event. And then since then, you've done ExpenseCon 1, a Super Bowl ad, ExpenseCon 2, ExpenseCon 3, right? Like, can you, what, why is it, you're, you're doing these over the top things that's just like rolling in the motorcycle, but you're doing it differently. Oh, they're very different. Like yeah. we roll in a Tesla and give it away to someone. They just rolled in a motorcycle and then rolled it up. Um, like, you know, if they were given away cool breezer, like leather jackets, sure, then maybe that starts getting cool. They just had some people wearing leather jackets who left. Um, and so I, they're investing in sort of a big brand moment of just basically it's like, look at us, how cool we are, and then buy. Uh, our approach is, no, we're going to invest in making your life awesome. So, um, so no, I think there's actually quite a big difference in the strategies there. So you also have a very different strategy with your product, a very non-traditional strategy. And at the conference, you got up on stage and the first thing you said was, if I may paraphrase, we're rebuilding, we're, we're recreating Expensify. Like this is, we're, we're making a brand new yeah. Expensify. It's called the new Expensify. And it comes from the, I think, guiding principle that you said every payment is a conversation. Yeah. C- can you speak to the meaning of that when you say every payment is a conversation, what does that have to do with like expense reports and spend management? Think, yeah, exactly. And say, I don't know. It's like, it's the whole pitch that goes behind this. Well, as I try to summarize it down, it's like, if you add up all of the customers of all of our competition across the entire world, it add up to like maybe 300,000 businesses in the world, but there's 300 million businesses in the world. There's like 27 million businesses in the United States alone. And so whatever, the entire industry is doing is clearly missing the mark. Somehow over the course of like 30 years, the sum of everyone's effort has only captured 0.1% of the global opportunity. So clearly the current business model is broken or or at least only works in a tiny, tiny corner of the market. And so we're trying to say, how do you go after the other untapped 99.9% of the global opportunity? It's got to look a little different. But if you could do it, let's say that you could get 300 million businesses, like Let's say you could get a billion people onto a common platform. That would be a hell of a business. That'd be like the next trillion dollar business right now. And that's like, like what we're gunning for. No one else is even trying to do that. They're just basically saying, I want to get my, my bite of the 0.1%. And we're saying, no, we want to take all of the remainder. And so it's a very different vision. And I'd say about 
that vision can only be approached with a different business model. And you can say, well, what are all the other platforms that have got to a billion users? How many of them got to a billion users through an enterprise sales model? Like, did someone call you up and say, hey, I think you should try Instagram. Instagram is the finest, you know, and pitch you on it. No, that's not how it works. Like TikTok, you know, all these ones out there, the only way you get to a billion users is by satisfying a use case that happens every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, like, even the, the, the biggest expense reporter, they're not doing expenses every single day. And, and but, they're, but they are doing something. They're doing a lot of collaboration. And so when we sort of step back and say, well, what, what is an expense report at the end of the day? It's basically a very structured way to, re- to request a reimbursement. It's a structured chat system in a you know, way. You can say, like, okay, let's say you weren't using an expense reporting system, which, again, almost no one does in the grand scheme of things. You'd have to just go talk to someone. You'd be like, hey, Blake, you owe me 50 bucks. And then and I'd either say that out loud or I'd text it to you or I'd email it to you or, or Slack it to you or something like that. But that's, that is real world expense reports is actually a conversation. And the tools like us are just a structured conversation tool. And so if we say, well, you know, in fact, every form of payment is a conversation between two or more people. If you go up to a food truck pub mm-hmm. and say like, hey, I want a taco. You basically say, I want a taco and I'm willing to pay this much money for you. And you negotiate there in real time. And that's what a credit card does. It facilitates that transaction in a very sort of clean way, but it's a conversation that's happening. And so we view it as everything in our platform, everything in the financial industry is some sort of conversation around money. And so if you strip away all of that, Expensify is a conversational chat tool, but it's built around a different kind of conversation. It's not like Slack, which is for unstructured product discussions that just kind of linger on forever. It's basically, think of it in terms of a structured or transactional chat system, Mm -hmm. where it's like, I want to accomplish something specific. I want to talk about it until it's done. And then after it's done, it has a clear ending point. And then all of that is retained and categorized neatly for a later reference. It's a transactional chat system. And that's basically what we're building our entire, uh, rebuilding our entire product around because that is true not just for country boards. It's true for invoices, bill payment. It's true for uh, a corporate travel. It's true for like is requesting money from your company is really the same as requesting money from your roommates or like settling up with your friends. It's all money. It's all the same conversation with some nuances around that. And so our new design is about capturing the inherent similarity of all payments flows across all of these into a single common tool that can do them all better than any of the specific tools could have ever done them. So this is a, when you say conversational chat, we're like to, to give a picture to our listeners we're sure. talking like, like imagine Slack, and instead of just chatting about, say, an expense that you need to have, like you actually can request reimbursement, you can send money, you've connected payment rails inside of the new Expensify, so that you know at, at this point that's what we're going to be able to do is request and send money, but it goes beyond that yeah. as well. I mean, yeah, I think that Slack is a good comparison, but it's actually Slack is. Not that widely used. It's widely used in the sense that, sense that enterprises use it, but like not 300 million businesses. Um, and so I think if you want to talk on a billion user scale, you need to be talking about SMS, maybe iMessage, mm. maybe WhatsApp. That's where we are comparison towards. Slack's actually kind of a power level tool. Um, we think more in terms of WhatsApp. It's like the gold standard. It's the best sort of like broad set. So expen- new expensive, I feel, is like WhatsApp. Uh, I had a love child uh, with Venmo. Or like, um, or basically. What about WeChat? Yeah. In China, right? Ooh. The super app. I think WeChat's an amazing uh, comparable. And I think that one way you can think about it is we're trying to build the American WeChat. WeChat. We want to be the sort of like, you know, the, the WeChat for the rest of the world. Mm. 
a, a, a super app concept because I think they've demonstrated you don't need 500 apps to do all these specific things that are like overlapping most of it. You need one app that's able to doing 500 use cases. And so I think we're doing it. Honestly, the only competitor out there that I actually think is even trying as insane as it sounds is Elon Musk and Twitter. I made They're a note about that. I was going to ask you this. It. Yeah, that's good that you brought it up. Yeah, because he, he, he renamed the Twitter parent company to X, which was his original vision, I think. I don't know the whole story, for, but for PayPal, like, right? for PayPal was like yeah. a p- payments super app kind of thing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think that's what he's been aiming for for a long time. And let's be honest, he's got a pretty good track record. And so it might be psycho, uh, but at the same time, like it's, the rockets do fly and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, but, but I think it's important to recognize that it's not going to be concur. Like concur, they're, they're not even trying. Like absolutely no one in their company is trying to take over a billion right. users. It's just not even part of the roadmap. Right. Well, but I mean, okay, so let's look at this cynically or just like from... Like, Expensify now has what a hundred million dollars in recurring revenue, or more than that, right? Hundred sixty like or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you could just like continue to improve the existing Expensify app. You know, make marginal improvements, add some features to get bigger customers, and just rake in the dough for years and years, decades potentially. Because once people get on something that works, they generally don't move off of it, right? So, you know, why not? Why why create a new Expensify and put all this effort into, you know, getting that 3 billion users or whatever you want to get. Why not? I like that you increase it to three. I was more modest, only going for one, but hey, you know what? <laughs> I, I like the vision. Um, maybe another way to phrase that before you answer that, Dave, I, the way I look at it is like, you've done a startup, you've proven it successful, you've taken the pump company public, you're, you're, you're similar age as me, you know, we're getting pushed in the 50, somewhere in there. right? Right? And uh, 28. And it's like, to start over, like you're kind of st- building a brand new startup again, a new product from scratch. And, and it's yeah. conceptually yeah. different from anything else out there. Yeah, you got it. That's exactly right. But like, what, like what's the alternative? Like, just go fishing? <laughs> what? I don't like to fish. You could do some uh, really like, good fishing. I guess. But like, you know, I think that the way I view it is, and I've been saying this for a long time, I view expense, everything we've done to date, um, and we, or rather, we run Expensify like a pre-revenue startup. It just happens to be that this pre-revenue startup brings in like $160 million and like generates a whole bunch of like positive cash flow and all this kind of stuff. Uh, just because the design can't help but mint money. Like it's just, that's just, this is what it does. And I would say, but we haven't really, tr- what we have today was never actually the vision. Kind of like Elon Musk. It's like, you know, PayPal, all sort of stuff was never actually his vision. This is kind of, is you build something, you learn, you throw it away, you kind of move on sort of thing. And I think in engineering terms, there's this idea of if you don't know how to do something, what you do is you do it and then you throw it away and then do it for real. Um, and so I view that as like with Expensify. Everything we've done to date, it's like, look, we might be the best expense reporting system out there. That's cool. But that doesn't mean that we're the best expense reporting system that could be. It just happens to be the best one that's available right now. I think in the process of doing this, we're like, okay, okay, now I get how this works. I see how the accounting works and all the payments rails and the money transmission licensing and SOX compliance and pizza and all this other junk. It's like, okay. We got this. Like now we know kind of how to do all the basics. Now let's do it for real. And I think that this vision is what's interesting about new Expensify, and I'd be curious for your thoughts on this. One of the challenges is it's so simple, it just doesn't seem real. Uh, it's basically like it, we've been we've been programmed to think that accounting has to be so difficult. It has to have so much jargon. 
and, and so much complication and everything. You have to have 50 tools. You need to connect your same bank account and same jail system. The 50 different tools. Configure your employees every, and everyone differently. Configure the, you have to do so much work. And it's just, that's just what it feels like it has to be. And so when a new expense file comes out, we're like, no, you just connect once. And then, oh, you want to get money from someone? Yeah, you click request money. Like the word invoice, expense report, bill, PDP, they don't even appear in the product. It's just, if you want money, you request it. If you request it from your company, it's an expense report. If you request it from a client, it's an invoice. That The accountants care about that. You probably don't, though. Well, and, and, and was, I would have said, sorry, sorry David, uh, but I, I got to ask this follow-up. I, I would have said, like, this is crazy maybe six months ago, but we just saw the rollout of ChatGPT, and now it seems like everything's going to be a conversation. And you've been working on this for... I mean, that's exactly... Like, ChatGPT is just a better execution upon where I would say, like, concierge is basically is our chat system. It's our AI-based chat system we've been working on for years. Right. And I think ChatGPT is great in that it knows everything about nothing. Basically, just kind of knows the, the general, like, wow, this is the general zeitgeist of like, humanity. But it's not very good at anything specific, which is hilarious. Like, the, the singularity is going very different than the science fiction predicted. And it's basically like, it's good for creative stuff, but sucks with math. It's like, that's bizarre. And so I think that ChatGPT is great at, like, at, at general conversations. But then we have our team basically step in whenever things get like real hard. And so the combination of something like, you know, AI generative, uh, generative AI chat systems on the front end that can escalate to humans in the back end for when things get really difficult. I think that's the dream. And that's what we've built. We've been basically looking forward to this for a long time. This, this idea of payments for conversation is not a new idea. This, is, this was the original idea. It just took us 15 years to get to here to execute on it. Yeah, I remember 15 years ago, you were talking about how you want to destroy the ACH system. And like, is, is this a step to that, right? Where mm. you can move money around and maybe bypass ACH entirely. I don't know. I think like, you know, I probably come around to say like ACH isn't as bad. I mean, it, it does a job. There's reasons for it. Uh, and it's gotten much faster. The same day ACH and things like this and the clawbacks of like, you know, it's, it's complicated. Money transmission is super fucking complicated. I don't know if I was appreciated that as much 15 years ago as I do right now. <laughs> I think that things can be improved, but things aren't as bad as they seem. Or if they are bad, there's a reason behind it. So one thing I found entertaining at Expensicon is you bring, you know, 100 accountants, you know, some are uh, CFOs of companies. Some are um, virtual CFOs. They're heads of accounting cast divisions at accounting firms. You know, they have problems with their clients. And you show them new Expensify. And a lot of them couldn't grasp it. It was almost like too much. Like you said, it's too easy or it's just – now, like, I feel like Blake and I were nerds and we drink beers with you and we talk about this, like, what things could be in the future. And they were so hung up over, like, approvals. And I'm like – but the approval is already there because you probably had a conversation that said, can I fix the oven? And Blake said, yes. Like, mm-hmm. there is no approval. Like, the whole concept is just exploded and, like, their brains just couldn't – it's not they couldn't handle it. It's just they're just not ready for this. It was too much. And so what was your strategy in showing this to everybody? Well, yeah, I guess I would say uh, that is a challenge. And that it's basically it's a very different way of viewing these cl- traditional problems. And you got to start somewhere. Uh, and we just don't expect everyone to get it on day one. And that's fine. Like, we're not forcing anyone over to this new design. We're like, Let's, old stuff work. You like the old stuff? Great. Keep using the old stuff. But the new stuff's going to be even better. Um, and so I think they're going to see over the course of the next year, whatever, that we're making the new Expensify just more and more attractive. We're making it easier to adopt. And we're going to show more and more, like, for example, a new Expensify, you're going to be like, you can do expense level conversations. Can't do that in old Expensify. 
It's not, it's just not designed to do it. The new one is. So if you want to like comment on specific expenses, you go to the New York website for that. If you want to have like, you know, reactions to things and like a more social approach there, or like you want to have the conversation before the expense. Well, that happens in new expensify, but the old expensify is just, you know, a traditional expense report. Yeah. I, I feel so like I think that we, we're going to lure people over bit by bit. And this is going to be something where people have to experience it to really grasp it. I mean, the old Expensify, the classic, classic Expensify was also... Classic, that's right, not old, yes. Expensify Classic classic is one of those things, too, where, you know, people who had never done a digital online expense report and scanned receipts and had them magically attached to credit card transactions, they had to see it to actually experience it. And I feel like this is going to be one of those things where you're going to have a conversation about an expense and then it's going to get auto-approved because the system saw the implicit, implied, or explicit approval in the chat and then the reimbursement just happens. Yeah, and I think that you guys, you, you get it. And I think that's, and this is inevitable. Right. Just like we all, like you're called the, the Cloud Accounting Podcast, but like, remember, the cloud was terrifying for a long time. Remember how many conversations are like, is the cloud safe? Yeah. Is it secure or whatever? No, those conversations still happen, but not very much anymore. Um, and I think it's, it takes time for this to bake in because like it's it's a very important field. It's a field that has a lot of, you know, tradition behind it. And that tradition has been re- refined over the course of a very long time. And so we shouldn't expect it to change and that's fine. Uh, but I think we can, but it's also, I think it's shown it's open to change. And I think that's, if you can show a better path, it's not gonna happen fast, but it will happen. So you're building a, a startup inside of a public company now. It seems like that might be challenging because public markets do not like experimentation. They want what? they want steady, predictable earnings. They want you to just to do what you're good at and do it quarter after every quarter. Every 12 weeks. Yeah, every 12 and, weeks. Yeah. And it seems like they the the market just punishes you brutally for this, you know, with the stock price. And mm-hmm. and like how does that how does that feel? I mean, you, you got to pay attention to it, right? Or like what about the employees, you know? Like it, it must be tough. Sure. Um, so I'd say, so the very first thing we said when going public, so IPO night, we said, okay, first rule of being public, we never talk about being public. And so like, I actually don't like a share price at all. Uh, we don't talk, like it's one of the rules is you just don't talk about share price. You don't celebrate when it goes up. You don't lament when it goes down because we give information to the market literally four times a year. And that's it. And the market price goes, changes a thousand times a second. It clearly has nothing to do with us. It's, it's almost entirely driven by factors that have nothing to do with us. And so I'd say we can't control, like if you're going to hang your hat on a bunch of like microscopic decisions that we just couldn't even involve in, like that's a bad strategy for a living. And this comes back to like why we went public in the first place. So when the, the first question, the, the most common questions we got is basically like, okay, so you're growing, you're, you're, you're profitable, you've got a ton of money in your balance sheet. Like why? Like why are you going public? And it's just to basically create liquidity for investors because like we work for shareholders. And so it's like, we just have to, like they can't just be private forever. Got to give that money back somehow. And so I think that we went public in order to create liquidity, but that didn't have to change our vision of the future. Uh, it, being a public company only affects you as much as you let it. And so our commitment is to long-term shareholder growth. I'm going after that trillion dollar number, not this number. Um, and not, not, and that. 50% more than this number or whatever it is. We don't want incremental growth. We, we see an opportunity to go for something huge and we're taking it. But also we have to. I think that like everyone else out there who's not, they're just, they're, they're, they're just walking dead. They don't even know it uh, because something, if it's not us, it's X or it's someone is going to come along and execute this vision and it's going to wipe everyone else out. And they're just trying to like, you know, sell their shares until they can get out. And I get it. That's 
proven Silicon Valley strategy, but we're trying to do something different. And you also did a non-traditional listing. You did a direct listing. Is that right? When no, you... actually, we ended up doing a traditional price round, oh, okay. but we did do it in some unusual ways. We have a, a share class structure that commits employees to the long term. And so basically for our management team, over half their shares are in this uh, locked up sort of format, uh, which uh, requires 10 or even 50 months of notice before you can sell. Because we're trying to say, if you want to participate in the long-term decision-making of the company, we need confidence that you are focused on the long-term results of the company. And so really we're not, like, and we've been very clear from the start, we're not optimizing for the next quarter. We're optimizing for the next decade. And this, these are very different strategies. And you also set up the voting structure such that you don't have to worry about like a hostile takeover or shareholders, you know, like revolting and forcing you to do what you don't want to do. Right. Yeah. But I would say we also did that in an unusual way rather than having like a a traditional high voting share structure that just makes me into a dictator. uh, We built this model that actually is called a voting trust. Uh, The three, basically the people, the the three employees of the most shares uh, have one vote each. And so I have the most shares, but I only have one third of the voting trust. And so a consequence of all of this is uh, we're a high voting company, but I can be fired, but only by my own employees. And so uh, we're, it's not a dictatorship, it's more of a Senate. And I think that's because good people don't want to work for a dictatorship forever. They want to participate in something and have a real voice. And so we've created a company that gives our employees that voice, which is why they've stuck around for so long. I don't know if the Senate is the best analogy, though, because they did murder Caesar. Well, you know, <laughs> but he was trying to be a dictator. That's why. That's allegedly, right? The debate <laughs> that will, yes. the deba- they wrote the news thing. Yeah, the, the debate history. that will yeah, continue exactly. for thousands of years. Um, <laughs> I just finished watching that show, Rome, on HBO. Like, I'd never watched it, it before. It was amazing. So well done. Really enjoyed it. I wish they had kept it going a little longer. I felt like they tied it up too quickly at the end, you know? Roman Empire is like thousands of years of history. Can't you just spend a little bit more? Yeah, you can't just stop with Octavian when he's like 25 or something, right? Like, anyway. <laughs> Over. Yeah. I, I guess Pax Romana was not interesting enough. Uh, so, so, uh, one thing we didn't talk about yet was the, you know, coming functionality, what you're going to add to new Expensify beyond Mm -hmm. just conversational chat and expense reimbursements. Uh, there was something that you, uh, previewed at the conference called tasks or is, is that the right term tasks? Yeah. Tasks. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, sure. I think, I think tasks, again, it's one of those things that sounds so simple. That's like hard to get excited by, but I actually think it's like the most groundbreaking change. Um, and I think it's because, one, if we say I, all, all payments are conversations, and they're, but they're, they're transactional conversations. They're conversations to achieve some specific goal that is done, um, which is a different kind of conversation than Slack. But there are lots of other transactional conversations which are not Slack. Like, for example, like, can you upload this document? Or can you just answer this question? Like, I'm trying to close the books for you, clients, and I need answers from you on a re- reliable schedule. And you're not giving them to me. So today, the best practice is you email them and they ignore you. You email them, maybe you text them, and then eventually you just throw something on their calendar for a Zoom call. And then you go through this giant list of questions and everyone's like, fuck. And I was like waiting around, like this is a huge waste of time. And so everyone hates the current model, but it's just kind of the best that exists. Our approach is to take uh, sort of issue management. Like you just say, in the same sense that with Expensify, you can request money from anyone in the world. Just type in an email address or phone number. You can request money from them, and then we'll sort out the accounting treatment behind the scenes. Likewise, we use that same kind of universal platform to say, you can ask anyone in the world to do anything, and then we will track it in a tracked fashion. And then you can say, basically, here's the outstanding tasks. Here's, who, here's who's waiting on you to do this particular thing. Um, and then basically manage 
not just your expense reports, but all of your basically tasks for accounting on a closed basis. And then best of all, wrap all those up to recur automatically on a monthly basis. And so you'd say, hey, all your recurring monthly closed questions, just program them in. We will ask them from the same people every single month. We'll tell you with a Gantt chart basically just ask them. And so likewise, from a firm perspective, it's, it's about baking in the knowledge of each client into the client configuration. If a new client, account needs to step into a client, they don't, they don't need to like talk to the old one to figure out what's going on. It's all there. It's already in the tasks. And it's already running automatically. So it's about trying to use uh, recurring tasks to incur, allow accountants to automate their firms uh, and automate basically the, the, the recurring close and things like this for the firms. And so, yes, it's about using a, a platform that allows you to scale up the number of clients that each accountant can manage while also improving the consistency of that and reducing the training for each. So I think this is why I think tasks are the most interesting because going back to the question of, yeah, even like the most uh, uh, common business traveler, they're not submitting submission reports every single day, but they're doing something every single day. Um, and so if you can capture the conversations and basically uh, add structure to the non-financial aspects of their day as well, I think you can just, we can offer so much more value to our customers and we can be, by giving them so many more tools and doing it for nine bucks a month. And so it's basically a, a huge basket of functionality for like the cheapest of possible prices. So one of our live stream viewers uh, right. said, people are scared of transitioning to new software. There are many organizations still on QB desktop because QBO implementation was a nightmare at the start and the interface is still very different. So I guess this leads to the question, even if you build new Expensify, how do you get people to switch? It's been a, how long, David? How long has QuickBooks Online been around? And QuickBooks how long? desktop people will be on for another 50 years. And then I see Expensify Classic and I was like, oh, they got, Dave has a new problem. He's going to have people on Expensify Classic yeah. for the next 25 years. Yeah. So, so uh, how yeah, do you deal with that? So I think, no, it's, it's a fair question. And so first off, when it comes to desktop, that's why we support QuickBooks Desktop. As it's like, you know, we still have the, you know, market leading QBD support and we will for as long as people want it. And so that's cool. I think that migrating people over, yeah, it's a real challenge. But the, the main concern that people have the QBD to QBO challenge is that the functionality is just not there. Uh, and so it's not like just about, I think if you show people a different and better way to accomplish their same requirements, people are willing to do it. It takes training and, and cajoling and time and patience and all that, but, but they'll do it. The main problem with QBO is it's just not as feature rich as QBD. And so the people who are on QBD, it's not just like, ah, I like the interface better or something like this. It's basically like, it does my job and QBO doesn't. And so it's kind of, it's, it's not quite the same thing. So I think that the main way that we do this is to make sure that new Expensify is a, a total superset of old uh, Expensify. And for anything that's not that, that we keep that old functionality around basically as long as people need it. And so now I, I don't dispute that it's going to be a challenge. Um, but I think our approach is to do, but to lure people more with honey than vinegar is to say, we can offer the same exact functionality, um, but we can do it in a way that is so much better. And you're in control as to the timeline as to how fast you switch over. So one thing you've done differently is obviously you have what, 140 employees, like you're super, super efficient. And now you're building this new product. And I step back and I'm like, oh, you have all this cash in the bank you probably should hire, he's going to have to build a team of a thousand engineers and layers of management to build this product. And you're not doing it that way. Can you talk about like the systems you've built in place and how you're, because you're using, for lack of a better term, open source developers or the, yeah. the what do you call it? Like, 
That's Fiverr's term- not the right name either, but I'll let you kind of <laughs> explain, to me, yeah. explain to me how you're building this with the relationship with the engineers and what processes you guys have had to create from scratch to do this. Sure. I would say, so our 140 full-time employees, their primary job is to be uh, creative generalists. And so whether they're an engineer or on the you know, sales side of support or like even our own accounting team, everyone's job, first and foremost, is to automate their jobs away, uh, is to figure out basically... Because even our accounting team, if we're doing like SOX compliance, we get a ton of customers doing SOX compliance. We think, what sucks about SOX compliance? How can we make it better? And so using our task system for SOX compliance is so much better than what the other tools everyone else uses and so forth. And so our core team is about the creative hub. And a challenge is it doesn't need to be bigger. Like we're 140 people right now. We're 140 people last year, 140 people the year before. Like basically our hiring and our attrition have hit the kind of replacement levels, if you will. We just kind of stay here. And that's fine. It's great. It's kind of like a, a balsamic where basically it's like it's just reducing and getting better and better. And this core of people we have are more and more efficient every single year. And like we look back at ourselves a year ago, we're like, God, we're such idiots. Why do we do it that way? This is so better. And and so we're just this same group of people is able to produce more and more uh, just by a few better processes and wisdom and all this kind of stuff. Now, so the core creative team is a stable size. But as you've mentioned, when it, something can be condensed down to a project that just needs to be implemented, then you can hand it off to someone else. And that's where actually you need the massive scale. That's why new Expensify is made entirely in open source. And so as such, the it's not just to, we get the random casual distributor that makes a change, but most importantly is it enables us to hire like a thousand engineers from around the world so, um, to so, work on sorry, a 24-7 David, basis. I, I need to understand this better. When you say the entire new Expensify is open source, can I go like look at the code? I mean, I, would, I wouldn't I f- know what I'm looking at, but... Could I do that? Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting. It's, it's probably, um, no one's really picked up on this, but it's, it's, I think we're like the only SaaS business that has an actual official client that's open source. Like there's lots of them, like Twitter has an API that, and there's like other Twitter clients you can use, but the Twitter client itself is closed source. I think we're the only real SaaS business at scale that has an actual open source client, the official one. Um, and so yes, thousands of developers are contributing on it. So like, but... Isn't there a risk there? Somebody could just fork your client and make their own new Expensify and copy you and like. I guess good, good luck, guys. I mean, like, but like, why? Like, doing that doesn't make it better. So, like, cool. Now you've got your, uh, you know, Blake's Expensify with zero users. And so it's like, okay, fun, have fun. But like, that's not the code is not the important part. It's the community that's the uh, important part, and that's the thing that you can't you can't steal. Right. Yeah. If you clone Twitter, well, people have tried. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, we have oh, the Cloud Accounting Podcast community. We're halfway there, Blake. We could just go fork the code now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so open source, so you've, got, you've got contract developers. You can put out a job. You can have somebody contribute code. You don't have to go out and hire an army of very expensive software engineers. Oh, yeah. And so what's cool about that is, so we actually, so we have so many developers, so many more than we actually need. Um, they're just, they're, it's, it's weird, actually. They're fighting over these jobs. The tune of they've made it create custom scripts such that basically when we post a new job, we'll get like a dozen applications within like a millisecond. And other developers are like, oh, that's unfair. We're like, I don't know, it seems pretty good to us. And so our constraint is not basically the execution capability of like fixing bugs or whatever it is. The constraint is the product management of like, how does this work? Because it's actually it's so much harder to make something simple than it is to make something complicated. And so we had to think very hard about the patterns to make sure they work in a sort of consistent fashion. And there's this great phrase I really love. It's basically like, uh, you know, even with, with nine women, you can't make a baby in one month. Um, and so basically some things just take time. If you want to do something, it's, it's just 
it's just important to, to, to take the time to do it right. And so we're building something that is a really difficult, sophisticated tool that requires a, a lot of careful preparation. And the 140 people that we have are all participating all day on how do we make the best possible tool. And then once we've distilled it down to like, okay, and therefore build this particular feature, by that time, like all the hard decisions have been made. And it's just basically find something to implement it. Not to say that things can't go still wrong after that, but the hardest decisions are already made before that started. So, so you've built a process to capture the requirements, a process to post, a process to review the code before it's checked back in. And, and that's where you focus the energy on, not hiring and putting layers of management. Yeah, exactly. And I think, because again, you don't, you don't need 10 times the creativity to have a business 10 times the size. You need to have the ability to execute on your, your core strategy um, on 10x the scale. But the execution basically can be scaled out through contractors and the, the creativity can be sort of contained and centralized. When it seems like getting bigger often slows you down. And we saw that with uh, Twitter, like Elon, to, yeah. to, to, to mention that again, right? Elon uh, fired 80% of the people that worked at Twitter and the company's still running, which is kind of astonishing. People didn't think it was possible. But what does that say? What does that say about scale? I mean, I think that we've seen this again and again everywhere I've worked, like, you know, prior to Expensify, it's basically like 80%, like 20% of people do all the value and 80% else just show up to, you know, collect a paycheck. And I think that's, that's the common case. And I think it's because most companies are ba based on the hierarchy and there's so many places to hide in the hierarchy. When at Expensify, like we don't have any managers uh, and our compensation is determined by vote. And so everyone in the company votes on everyone else's compensation. So we have a tool and it's basically like, who do you think should pay more? Uh, Blake Oliver, David Leary, pick left or right. Um, and then you basically do this uh, 7,000 times each. And then you've ranked everyone against everyone else in the company. And then everyone in the company does that. You've got this very large data set of basically, here's what everyone thinks everyone else should be paid. So you filter it, condense it down, power curve sort of thing. And then you get basically like, okay, here's how competition works by algorithm. And so it's very hard, hard to hide an expensive one uh, because there's, everyone's looking at everyone else and everyone's basically trying to hold everyone else's feet to the fire in a constructive and positive way. Um, but because we're such a small group of people, uh, we're very in, uh, in tune with what everyone's doing. So, David, uh, I want to close out, I should say, Leary. I want to close out with a question about support, unless you have anything else. Uh, I, yeah, th th we'll do support. And then I do have a kind of a more inspirational question okay. or challenge for Dave after that. So we'll do our last two. I'll go first. Um, so this ties into that whole discussion of you know, how many employees Expensify has and you know scale. One of the biggest barriers to adoption of Expensify that I heard in years past from accountants was the support, that mm -hmm. there wasn't as much um, hand-holding. You just couldn't get the support you needed as a firm to, to roll this out to clients. But you have made some big changes, and those were announced at ExpensaCon. Can you tell us how support is changing for accountants? Sure. Yeah, I'd say if you're going to sort of dial back the, the path of support at Expensify. Um, company is growing, um, number of customers going up, number of sort of like support engagements are going up quickly, but we're still a very small company and we were giving very like white glove personal experience, um, to customers and to accountants and things like this. And it just wasn't, it was becoming very, very difficult to scale, like from a hiring perspective and training perspective and so forth, because everyone in our company is a creative, a, a creative generalist. 
Uh, we didn't. We, there's no one of the 140 employees. No one is on a commission. Uh, no one basically has um, like quotas or KPIs. Like that's, it's a very high trust collaborative environment, which works up to a certain scale. If you want to scale beyond that, you have to go to like you know how do you uh, have quotas, commissions, KPIs, and things like this. And it's just it's kind of a, a management problem. And so we actually had this very difficult decision: do we keep do we change the entire corporate culture? to support basically a large in-house team of sales and support agents? Or can we find a way to do that through contractors, just like we've done for the developers? And so we pulled back and it was very, very controversial in the organization because it's basically, it's like, wow, we're giving really high-end support uh, and there's a lot of relationships built. And we're like, but we just can't scale it out. Pulled back, dialed into basically lean heavily into our concierge AI to give, we took it from like two-day response times to two-minute response times for every single support conversation. We built a bunch of AI stuff. We built all this, like, you know, figured out how to outsource this very complicated thing in a global 24-7 scale, cost-effective fashion. Then we scaled up. So now our support, like, for, you know, we talked to concierge. is like, it is incredibly fast response times. The, the, fast, the best end user support that you're going to get in the industry, bar none. Then we took the same approach towards um, uh, account managers. Basically, it's like, okay, now we're going to give basically every single customer a dedicated account manager. I had to figure out how that works and how do we scale that. And I was like, a huge exercise. And we said, okay, let's do the same thing with accounting partners and basically go back to a lot of these relationships that we kind of let, you know, wither on the vine, honestly. Um, and to recognize, like, hey, you know what? We had a lot of uh, soul searching to do, and but now we're back and we're able to actually support and scale with you in a way that we just couldn't have done before. I think ExpenseCon to a high degree is about trying to show our commitment to the industry. It's not that that commitment has ever wavered. We just weren't able to execute on that commitment basically with our previous structure. And now we can, and that's going to scale forward. And so now the dream is, you know, when you onboard a client with Expensify, it'll be immediately paired uh, with a guide or sorry, with a, an onboarding specialist that will sit down with your clients and do basically anything you want them to do. Like they're just your person to tell what to do. Do you want them to go and, and just give them, if you have instructions, it's like, you want to set up any of your clients in this particular way? Cool. Like we'll just, Tell us what to do and we'll do it because obviously we're motivated. Like we get paid after the activity, not before the activity. And so we have a strong vested interest in getting everyone set up correctly. So we'll just expand your firm with our talent. And then after they're set up, we'll migrate them to an account manager to hold on to them forever. And so you should only be doing high-end, high-value accounting decisions. You should not be doing basically uh, uh, daily uh, uh, check-ins and reminders and nagging um, and repetitive configurations, like that's our job. Let us do that for you. And so I'd say this approach is we want to be, and I think that we safely are actually, uh, have the best uh, partner and client and accounting support in the industry bar none for the largest range of customers. Because we're, we don't cut off and only talk to enterprise customers. Like we'll talk to your small business clients, which most, you know, most firms have primarily small business clients and that's our bread and butter. So I think that there was a path to get to where we are right now, and it was a bumpy path. But I think it's a path that's basically behind us. And uh, we definitely have the best accounting and uh, client support in the industry, and we intend to keep it that way. So maybe I can close on this a little bit. So obviously on our podcast, our listeners know there's an accountant shortage. And you even slightly Go referenced ahead. it a little bit in your opening keynote at ExpenseCon. And so my wife's in the education system. She's a high school counselor. And so it's a topic at our house as well. Like, you know, we're, how do we get people at the high school level, eighth graders, freshmen, mm. interested in possibly pursuing accounting as a career? And then you had George Clooney on stage at ExpenseCon. You and George had a conversation. He was mentioning one of the things he was doing where there are 
his foundation is helping small businesses of some type. I, I don't remember any of the details. But what evolved from that was like, hey, can Expensify like help get more, make, make accounting more cool so more kids try to do accounting? And I was thinking about it a lot. And I told my wife, if any company can do it, it's going to be ExpenseCon because you have a vested interest because every eighth grader eventually is going to have to file an expense report. So you could go <laughs> and do, you could pursue this on the long Right, and even if you don't, even if you're not successful in getting them to become accountants, you still get a victory out of this. So I'm just uh, throwing that out well, there. Could you help solve the talent shortage? Well, I think actually part of it is about emphasizing the important value of the industry and get away from sort of like the mundane compliance aspects. Like no one's in this industry because like I fucking love compliance. They're there because it's like no, I love to like help people succeed. And I think we need to get more focus on that. But also maybe on add the cool factor. I thought George was, I thought that was a really fun experience to kind of talk with him. And I thought he has a lot of really insightful things to say in his foundation, in particular, uh, how his foundation was using forensic accounting to track down basically like dictators in the finances and then getting like how, uh, you know, Switzerland or America or anyone like the Treasury Department is willing to shut down financials and dictators, but someone has to show them that it's their money in the first place. And so I would love to figure out a way, like, you know, in a law industry, Pro bono uh, law, like representation is very common. Like every big firm has it. In the accounting industry, why doesn't every accounting firm have a pro bono forensic accounting organization that collectively is dividing and conquering basically all of the world's dictators and then tracking down all of the financial flows? That would be fucking cool. If, if you could join a firm and it's like, oh, actually, in um, you know, 10% of your time, it's tracking down dictators? Like, okay, I'm going to take that job. That sounds like a much more satisfying job. And it doesn't, so I think it's using the skills that you have and using the tools that you have um, to make a better impact upon the world and also just make your job way more fun. Or, or scale that out to high school kids. Like, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, there's two options for saving the world. One, join the military. Or two, become an accountant. They're about the same, you know, one is a little safer. <laughs> That's well, great. I, I love, I love what George Clooney said on stage. He said, you know, we tried shaming dictators and it doesn't work. But when we cut off their funding, that works. That changes yeah. behavior, right? Yes. So, and I think this is what comes back to it's like we talk about. We want to make an environment for um, a transactional conversation that affect things in the real world. It's not like a social network where you just like show up and like shoot the shit and kind of talk for a while and like nothing happens. In the real world, money changes hands. Like if you want to impact the real world, it's expensive. People have to like spend their money and go out into the world and do stuff. And so I think that if you want to impact the world in a positive way, uh, in your personal life, in your community, in your business, or even on the other side of the globe, tracking down the you know, Sudanese dictators or whatever it might be, I feel like accounting is actually a big part of that. Um, and I think that we need to make people more focused on the positive impact of the industry and less distracted by the compliance bullshit. That's a great way to end it. David Barrett of Expensify, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks. Well, always a pleasure. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. 
It's that easy. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. Earmark.